Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Kelsey Tamburino. In Northwest Indiana, residents have to endure life in what is one of the most polluted regions in America. Steel mill toxins complicate life for tens of thousands of residents, many of whom are Black and Latino. Health suffers and life expectancies are low. Local activists are begging the federal government to do something immediately. President Biden's administration has promised that it will bring the radical change necessary to end the pollution that plagues America's industrial cities. Politico Pro energy reporter Annie Snyder and E&E News reporter Sean Riley spent months reporting on the plight of Americans forced to endure these living conditions and the cumulative impact approach that the Biden administration is taking. Today, we catch up with Sean to hear about the situation at hand, what cumulative impact looks like, and how environmental justice comes into play. It's Thursday, July 7th. So, Sean, this piece focuses on northwest Indiana, a region plagued by pollution from a variety of sources, one of the main ones being steel mills. It's a lower-income area with many Black and Latino residents and low life expectancy. Can you tell us more about the situation? Sure. I mean, this is one of the heartlands of American heavy industry. Uh, There are only about, uh, I think now, about eight integrated iron and steel mills left in the country. And these are mills that start with iron ore and then process it into finished steel. And three of those mills are in Northwest Indiana with around within about 20 miles of each other. These are the types of good paying union jobs that President Biden likes to talk about. But at the same time, these mills produce an enormous amount of pollution. And one reason we decided to focus on this particular area was because both of the mills presence and also the fact that there's a lot of other heavy industry here, you know, besides the mills that also produces hazardous pollutants that, that can harm people's health, but that the current uh, regulatory framework that EPA uses doesn't take the cumulative effect or cumulative impact into account when looking at the impact on residents' health. Right. Yeah. Can you explain a little more about that? Why is the concept of cumulative impact of pollution so hard to put into practice? Well, because it's the original laws, we're talking about the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, et cetera. They basically look at the uh, impact of pollution exposure from different sources in isolation from each other. So EPA, to some extent, is working within a regulatory straitjacket, at least under its current reading of the laws, when it's trying to decide what appropriate levels of exposure are. Uh, the other issue is that it's just an enormously difficult scientific challenge. You know, we have so many different sources of pollution, and you have it both from air, water, one of the mills a couple of years ago, and they just uh, reached a settlement not earlier this year. Uh, you know, they dumped cyanide and ammonia uh, into a local tributary of Lake Michigan, resulted in a big fish kill. So you've got that. You also have a, a Superfund site, uh, which has very high levels of surface lead exposure. Uh, so you take all those combined, and how do you even determine how the individual person is affected when they're exposed or potentially exposed to all these different pollutants from all these different sources. You know, it's an extremely difficult problem. Um, you know, cumulative impact has been called the holy grail of environmental justice. And it seems like such a straightforward concept, but I think it's quite difficult. And EPA 
you know, tried to, um, about 20 years ago, did try to take some steps to putting in practice that effort fizzled. Uh, they're trying again, and I think they're running into some of the same challenges um, that foiled the, the original effort or initial effort. Mm-hmm. And all of this runs into the Biden administration promises on environmental justice. Could you talk a little bit about how environmental justice or lack thereof feature in your reporting on the story? You know, the, the concept of environmental justice, it's rooted in the premise, and there's lots of evidence for this, is that if you are a person of color, if you are a low-income person, you know, you are more likely to be disproportionately exposed to pollution. And this area, I think, bears that out in practice. It's, you know, the metro area, which includes Chicago, but by EPA statistics or the data reported to EPA, it is the sixth most polluted area in the country. On When you look at uh, discharges, air, water, and land per square mile, you've got a large population here of people of color, Black and Latino, uh, parts of this area, and it's a very varied area, are, are low income. To a significant extent, it has been neglected. There hasn't really been the regulatory focus on trying to thoroughly address uh, the pollution that residents are exposed to. And one of the focuses of the story is on a little-known program, but an important program under the um, that's run out of EPA's air office, uh, which is designed to regulate what EPA calls hazardous air pollutants that are linked to cancer or other serious health problems. Under the Act, EPA is supposed to set standards for industries like the steel mills that regulate emissions based on what's called maximum achievable control technology, basically the best available uh, technological approach to limiting uh, emissions. EPA for the steel mills or integrated steel mills, it set the standards back in 2003 and under a Clean Air Act timetable is supposed to revisit those standards basically to see whether they were adequate in terms of uh, addressing health risks and also whether there have been any uh, advances in pollution control technology in the interim within eight years, so by 2011. EPA, however, and this is a bipartisan issue, the office that runs it is what are called residual risk and technology reviews. It has fewer than 100 people in an agency that has more than 14,000 employees. And so the reviews have consistently run way behind the one for the steel mills, uh, which was only carried out after environmental groups sued to force EPA to take action. It wasn't completed until 2020, so nine years beyond the uh, uh, statutory timetable. And in your reporting, you outline some of these different tools that the Biden administration has for targeting environmental justice, but it hasn't quite delivered on its promises. Can you explain some of those other strategies? Sure. The big one, or one of the big ones, is called EJ40. The premise here is that what EPA calls disadvantaged communities, that they should get 40% of the benefits of clean energy um, and climate spending. The question, again, is to carry that out in practice. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be a, a government-wide approach, uh, but EPA, only last month, uh, did they release a list of the programs that will be covered by EJ40. And this was initially envisioned as providing significant benefits, again, on the basis that the Build Back Better legislation, you know, provide an enormous amount of new funding, uh, never passed Congress. Democrats couldn't get it through. So now, essentially, the government uh, agencies will be operating, presumably, with, you know, some funding from the infrastructure bill, but pretty much otherwise, you know, steady state appropriations, nothing, not a huge amount of, of new money. So uh, that's one issue. Uh, the other goes back to, again, this cumulative impact approach, and it's not clear exactly where EPA w- is going with this. EPA Administrator Michael Regan back in a forum on in March you know, said that you know, the Clean Air Act doesn't give EPA the authority to uh, look at cumulative impact, but does give it the flexibility. 
you know, we asked for some clarification on that and, uh, and didn't get it. Uh, presumably they are trying to make some attempt to factor in cumulative impact, but if not in the actual permitting process, but where, how that is going to play out is still to be seen. But again, it's not entirely um, clear how that will work itself out or how, I think in this case, another agency is involved in assessing this and how cumulative impacts will affect the final decision. Mm-hmm. It's probably important for us to point out that problems in this region have existed prior to Biden's arrival in the White House. Past administrations have also failed to address them. But I wonder if you could talk through how is Biden's approach different here? Rhetorically, it's much more front and center. Environmental justice, a concept that goes back decades. Back in 1994, President Clinton, in executive order, you know, instructed federal agencies to look at environmental justice impacts in the decision making. But that has not always been observed uh, on a consistent basis, to say the least. So he has certainly put much more emphasis on it um, than any other president. And I think that's what gives some uh, advocacy groups hope that there might be some follow through. But these inequities and pollution exposure are so entrenched. It's, you know, an extraordinarily difficult challenge. I mean, environmental justice, I think it's fair to say it's, it's a, you know, it's not just a EJ problem. It's a justice problem more generally. What do you do? Uh, with you know large industrial plants like the steel mills that do provide thousands of jobs, but also pump out an enormous amount of pollution. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Kelsey Tamburino, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Did you know that Chevron is exploring ways to expand their hydrogen fuel production to help make heavy-duty transport lower carbon? Find out more at chevron.co slash hydrogen fuel.